should you decide to accept it. So welcome again to your the Your Mission podcast, where we, this week, do another two-disc, one-cut kind of variety. It's really one disc, cut down the EP, I guess. It really depends. Yeah, really the depends. Release, it really depends on the release. So what we're doing is Fleetwood Mac's 1969 album, Event then play on but we're doing the 2013 remastered version oh parts one and two are the mono bonus track so yeah we're all going to do a cut of the album ep length ideally so right about 30 minutes mm. and yeah is anybody is everybody properly peter greened over the last week uh, I, have. I, the I have i definitely have i did the scan through of the whole catalog basically yeah and I think that for me, like, what I'm really stoked about is that really the only thing I knew about Peter Green was that he used to be in Fleetwood Mac before Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham. And I knew their first record that someone played for me in college. So I knew it was like a blues rock thing. So it's been really cool to actually do a deep dive and learn all about the different kinds of music he played it wasn't just the blues and uh, yeah and also r.i.p peter green that's what i think he died last what week kind of triggered all this. Yeah, yeah this whole episode came about because as we were getting ready to start last week's lewis informed me that peter green had passed and i have been bummed ever since and so now i made i forced everyone to do this week r.i.p peter green um yeah cheers then Play On is an album that, uh, and I think it's only fair that I talk about this since I'm the one who <laughs> forced this. You're the gateway, yeah. Yeah, it's my fault. Um, then Play On is an album that I don't really, I can't say how young I was when I first heard it, but it's the kind of album that's just always been there in my life for as long as I can remember because my dad was had it on heavy rotation. So... I'm very excited about this because this is one of my favorite albums probably, I don't know about ever, but like it's way up there. So as Alonzo pointed out, I suspect that most people don't know Peter Green by name, or at least certainly not most people our age don't really know him by name. But arguably everybody probably knows them, well, probably the most famous song that he wrote that Carlos Santana covered, which is Black Magic Woman. So even if you don't know Peter Green, now you do know him. He was the founder and original lead guitarist of Fleetwood Mac, and he was actually only in it for three years, but they put out so much material in that time. It was just super prolific. The subject of multiple documentaries, which the BBC has one called Man of the World, which is really, it really goes through the history. They talk to Mick Fleetwood and Jeremy Spencer and John McGee, and they really you know, do a deep dive on the early days and how everything progressed and spiraled. And, it's a little depressing in parts, but if you're a fan of the documentary, I suggest you check it out. Uh, I did find a list on the internet of some dudes who rated it on the, the first, the top 25 music documentaries out there, he rated it number one and said, even if you don't care about the subject material, you should still watch it. So I feel like that's an endorsement from some random dude on the internet. Yeah, that's big, big, big um, And it's true. The interviews are incredible. Like yeah. it, it isn't just, it doesn't feel like the interviews are edited around a narrative. If, if anything, it feels like their narrative kind of is attempted to fill a couple gaps. But even when there is a narrator present, 
if anything, they overlap information you've already got through the different band members. It's really, it's a really good series of interviews. I was going to say, what's really interesting, right, is, like, uh, you think about all these, like, blues guys that came out of Britain in the 60s that, like, went on to have, like, crazy fame and success, right? Obviously, you got the Stones, the Beatles, but you also have people like Clapton and... People that basically grew up with soul records from the United States or blues records as like the kind of the cool stuff that they were into and then they tried to emulate that. The Beatles more like stuff like Chuck Berry and the Stones probably more like Chicago blues stuff. But there are so many uh, musicians like for every like kind of famous one like I would even add for example it's escaping me what's his name Mandy he was in the faces. Or, no, not Mandy, I'm sorry. And what's the name of that? Maggie May? Rod Stewart. There were like a yeah. bunch of bands and groups. And Zeppelin, I guess, is another one, right? There a bunch of bands yeah, and groups yeah. that came out of these blues bands playing, like, yeah. playing like the old blues standards. For every well, famous and, guy, there's like another le- way less known person that was like amazingly talented, but for one reason or another just never blew up. And... And there was a, there was even a moment where Peter Green and Rod Stewart overlapped, right? Like he they overlapped in like Shotgun or one of the like early projects before Fleetwood Mac, before the John Mayle. Um, John Mayle blues. and the Blues Breakers, right? Okay. Yeah, Blues Breakers. That's it. Yeah, yeah, which I listened to that record too. So what, what's interesting to me is so like I I always think about this guy who I know that Ryan and I know pretty well. This guy named Terry Reed who's also British, British guitarist, performer, came out of that kind of blues scene, I think, was going to be in the, was going to be in Led Zeppelin <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. It, or it turned it down, turned down being in Led Zeppelin or some crazy I stuff I think like that's that. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It was going to be the vocalist. It was going to be the vocalist in Led Zeppelin. So anyway, he, now he has some amazing music, most of which I'm more familiar with his stuff in the 70s. He has some, some really cool stuff. I didn't know anything about that music until Rob Zombie's movie, The Devil's Rejects, came out and featured three of his songs on the soundtrack in the movie. And so, like, when you discover one of these guys, uh, one of these performers, musicians from that time that didn't quite blow up but is, like, amazingly talented, you just feel like you're let in on a secret. And that's kind of what I feel like with Peter Green. Like, just someone let me in. And that's a weird thing is that he actually did blow up. If I, at the documentary they talk about how like there was a year I think where Fleetwood Mac outsold both the Beatles and the Stones combined. That's but, that's so but it was crazy. Like, it's a blip. It's a blip that happened yeah. like in the late you know sixties, and like the rest of us who were born after that point don't really have any anyway. But on that subject though, Peter Green actually got into he got a start in uh, john mayle's blue breakers and he actually replaced eric clapton eric clapton took off and john mayle the uh, this is in the documentary too so lewis knows this but the producer had said you know to john mayle oh my god you lost eric like where's eric like what who's whose gear is this what's going on and he said oh don't worry we've got someone better and he said better than eric clapton and he was like yeah i'd like you to meet peter green and so it was like such an auspicious start or foreshadowing but they talk about how when they when he first started playing with them there was like a minute a night or two where like fans were like where's eric but very quickly shut the hell up and started calling him the green god and there it was just like an immediate just like taking to him as amazing they recognized his talent so 
Like Eric Kraft, Clapton himself has called Peter Green brilliant. Carlos Santana said Peter Green just makes you float, which I think I would agree with. B.B. Uh, King, That's yeah, B.B. Cool. King himself said, quote, he has the sweetest tone I ever heard. He was the only one who gave me the cold sweats. And coming from B.B. King, I don't know if it gets this better. high praise, man. High right? praise. And the yeah. fact that, and I think also just the fact that, again, like, while, yeah, it's obviously true, they sold a bunch of records, like, in the late 60s. He just doesn't have the name that Clapton does. Mm. I think probably a big part of that is just the stuff he went through in the 70s. He just kind of, yeah, he, he got through combination of, like, drugs, mental illness, etc., from what I understand, sort of disappeared basically for the whole 70s, right? Yeah. 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 But... Uh, yeah, no, it's just, it just... It's interesting. And then when he died, like, all these very famous musicians and people from that time shouting this guy out, so... It's pretty cool. Yeah. On the subject of his guitar tone, I did want to just mention this cool piece of random trivia that I found interesting, is that... A lot of people always talked about the sound that he was able to create. He bought his his uh, signature 59 Gibson Les Paul standard. He bought it used in 1966 for $300. It's now owned by Kirk Hammett of Metallica, and I'm not sure what he actually paid for it, but the list price was $18,000. So Kirk Hammett owns that now. See, and in so... February of this year, Mick, I, I learned this just today. I was today years old when I learned this, and I'm ashamed. But Mick Fleetwood actually put together a tribute to Peter Green earlier this year in February. And they got Kirk Hammett to come bring the actual guitar and play Green Manalishi with the guy from ZZ Top and a bunch of other celebrities. So That's it was actually cool. really cool. Yeah. I have a link to it. We can maybe fit it into the Oh, after yeah, party. yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah we'll, that'd definitely, be great. we'll definitely um, listen to that in the after party for sure. So there was a lot of, there's been years of debate about how the hell he got his guitar to sound that way and to the point where like someone once took it apart to try to figure it out and they didn't see anything wrong with it at all. It was all like factory parts, like stock everything and then happened to just discover, let's check the magnets and apparently one of the magnets was flipped and they think it's oh. just a, a random factory accident that it ended up flipped the reverse the wrong way. I've, this is not the only time of like more recently the guy from Krungbin plays with so he uses I think the Marzio Cruiser pickups mm. and one of them is wired in such a way that it changes which pole is picking up mm -hmm. which string and yeah so it moments like that create these unique unique tones but interestingly though they both these two guys tried to, to sit down and recreate Peter Green's playing with that guitar. And, and he says in the article, he was like, let me tell you what, that guy, Gary Jones, sounded like Gary Jones. He did not sound like Peter Green, even playing Peter Green's guitar. And when I played it, I didn't sound like Peter Green either. So it was a happy uh, meeting of both the guy and the guitar to make that. Right. Anyway, yeah. so no, that's my cool trivia. <laughs> that's, that's it's interesting too, There, because there are a lot of legends around the guitars of like these like famous guitarists and or just like weird stories like Hendrix basically learning to play left-handed and how probably that affected his playing style. And then you have people like Tony Iommi, who like lost fingers in like an industrial accident. Like it was like, he was like working in a factory, he lost some fingers and then yeah. figured out how to play, like how to adapt to be able to play rock and roll. And Sabbath's sound was very related to that. And then I would also add Django Reinhardt, it was like much the same thing. I think he was like missing a bunch of fingers. And so he had to learn like alternate ways to pick 
and it resulted in a very kind of unique sound that's been like copied to death. It's a lot of things that go into that stuff, some happy accident, some kind of genius or some sort of mix of the two, it seems. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the album, I have a couple things I want to say about that and then I will shut the hell up. But (laughs) no, you've got a whole EP. (laughs) Tell us how you found, how how you discovered this or like how you got turned on to this. I'm curious. Uh, like most other things, my dad played it a lot, and I was like, this is cool shit, I dig this. I, I fucks with this vibe, this is amazing. As a teenager, it was one of the few things that like I would listen to in amongst my rancid and my like God knows what else. This was still definitely in the mix. The album itself is the third studio album if i'm i think and their last with peter green and and one thing i love that again i was also just learned today but the title then play on is taken from the opening line of shakespeare's play twelfth night and the quote is if music be the food of love play on which if that is not the coolest shit you've ever heard then get out of my face <laughs> i don't know what else to say about that but i love that yeah and i'm so glad that i googled it today nice um, <laughs> And then when it was released, at the time it was released in 69, writing for Rolling Stone, this guy said that basically Fleetwood Mac had fallen flat on their faces and dismissed the album as mostly nondescript ramblings, which, (laughs) fuck you, first of all. And and that's held up over time. People consistently have that opinion. If you dig through any kind of review scores, it's obvious that guy was right and everyone just followed the five star rating yeah. yeah like in 2017 though the new Rolling Stone album guide labeled the album as cool blues based stew and considered it the second best Fleetwood Mac album of all they've changed their tune a little bit different writers but still yeah look man uh, <laughs> if I read about sun drenched harmonies in one more fucking music review <laughs> dude like I don't even know what the fuck that even means what does that mean <laughs> this shit means nothing man like really music is. review music review writing is like the greatest one of the greatest sort of sophistries like out there man. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah basically it's yeah. just yeah it's just like oftentimes written by non-musicians and then grasping at some sort of something that's like inexorable i don't know man i just i read it and it's like kind of half embarrassing so like when i read music reviews like i put on my like my like bullshit goggles and just try and gather information to see if I should just check something out and then go from there. Um, I get this. I, I feel like it's like wine, wine tasting bullshit where they're like hints of mushroom. Is this literally tastes like grapes and liquid smoke, y'all? There's no mushroom about this. Like you're making it up. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So I have a long history with this album. You guys do not. I would love to hear your impressions since they're new. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, why don't you go ahead? I don't know. I, I kept thinking as I've been listening. So I I started digging through the earlier albums. I started digging through some of his later solo stuff at the beginning of all this, which is all incredible, either blues music or just amazing kind of psychedelic jaunts uh, on its own. But uh, as I dig through this album, it's amazing how early it, like, how early it establishes itself as the forerunner for a lot of these what became very popular like classic rock sounds right like there are songs that are heavy led zeppelin there are songs that are traditional blues 
they're the jam band style tracks pre you know really jam on a record this is it's yeah it establishes so much of what's considered classic rock early on and it's still incredible how often how awkward the conversation becomes when you bring up Fleetwood Mac and start talking about Peter Green <laughs> and people are like wait a minute we you, like Tusk I know who Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are it's, okay but you got to follow the Mick Fleetwood thread right the John yeah. McBee thread a little bit further back the line and you start finding this incredible British psychedelic blues that was happening around a really initially humble quiet like talented musician in the documentary it was he famous they famously talked about how when they were naming the band he essentially named it after Mick Fleetwood and John McVie with the thought of I'm gonna be gone and they're gonna be here and they're gonna call it Peter Green's whatever and then Peter Green goes away or it's like also it's just a really solid name Fleetwood Mac is just it makes sense that's a good name yeah I dig it and also yeah. At the time, what I also love about that is that at the time he named it Fleetwood Mac, John McVie was not in the band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he not. Just, he's, but, he's, but he will be, though. He, he will be in the band. And here, I will yeah, leave. But... Yeah, John McVie will be in the band, number one. And then I will leave. And Jeremy Spencer, you will also leave. And these dudes are our friends. So this is what we can leave them, is this yeah. band. <laughs> though it is a little, like... Some of the footage of them playing with the original bassist, what was his name? Uh, I've got it in front of me, Bob Brunning. So oh. Bob Brunning was really solid in some of that early footage that they're showing. Like he was a solid bassist. So I, I haven't looked into what happened to him, but it's a little awkward to be like, okay, yeah, you're the bassist for now. But really oh. this band is named after <laughs> and, and in the sake of a completely different basis to we expect we'll call us anytime so you know <laughs> thank you for your contribution but uh, John yeah. McBee will be here and you won't be gone <laughs> it's just a constant reminder that hey you're a placeholder so hey, yeah, yeah. yeah he's got, he got Wally pipped in, in the yeah. band <laughs> yeah this album's incredible it has the solid early British like straight blues played in an, an impeccable manner. And it goes in a lot of different journeys as well. There's an ex a genuine expansion out of that blues sound that they established so early on. And yeah, it, it doesn't disappoint. There's, I, we were talking about this briefly earlier, there's a track called My Dreams that it's Mac DeMarco or Deer Hunter. Like when the lead guitar comes in, it's 50 years ahead of Mac DeMarco, but it's, certainly what he's been playing in the last few albums it's it's amazing yeah it's one of my favorite tracks I really it's super like. yeah i think what i can add is a couple things like i said in, okay let me start with this i think it's established that your dad's music taste is much <laughs> fucking cooler yeah, yeah. than my parents can music we taste can it's we cool. just move forward with your father's recommendations on what, you, what we should be listening to <laughs> like, i feel like <laughs> If we run into issues thinking of topics yeah, yeah. for episodes, we should be like, hey, yeah. yeah. What's something we certainly haven't heard by Travesty? <laughs> I know that his his taste is still pretty on point because lately he's been like, 
oh, there's fucking nothing good coming out. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, all right. No, that's <laughs> not true. There are a few things, but it's less than it used to be. Well, well look, man, I can only hope to have such... Uh, such cool music taste. I think it's pretty guaranteed, though. I'm gonna pat myself on the back, just unless I have a lobotomy in the, you know, meantime. But, but anyway, like I said, your dad's music taste far cooler than my parents. My mom was really into like disco and stuff like that, and um, like, and then I think the point in common that they had was like the sort of soft rock thing. They're a little bit younger, right? Like, so they're like sixty-two. Yeah, they're both sixty-two. So, my dad just turned, my mom just turned 60, my dad's 62, they're about the same age. All right. Yeah. So, so, but, my, uh, so my dad's, so I knew Fleetwood Mac really well growing up, but I knew Rumors and yeah. maybe some songs off of their first record and maybe some songs off of Tusk. But I had, we had Rumors, we had it on tape, and then I remember my dad, when he finally got a little bit of money, he bought a nicer car and it had a CD player in it. And we had the rumor CD. So, like for me, like Fleetwood Mac, basically until I went to college, was Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, McVie, the McVies, and Mick Fleetwood playing kind of pop, soft rock. And I loved it. I thought it was the coolest shit ever. Like, their songs on rumors. I think we should probably do rumors at some point. But and then and then when I got to college, like I said, you know, just just people were playing all sorts of stuff. I remember seeing in someone's like CD case like this Fleetwood Mac album that I didn't recognize, and it was the original Fleetwood Mac album from the from '68. But so we pop it in and it's like blues, and I was just like, what the hell is this? So I had no idea. I started reading the liner notes and not seeing like. Lindsey Buckingham or any of this stuff. <laughs> okay, that's uh, weird. And uh, and then the other sort of touch point with Fleetwood Mac that I have that's pre Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks is is actually your your homeboy Med Ryan. So when I was spending like a brief time in Fairmont, we were hanging out with Ahmed, and Ahmed he was like like an amateur rapper, beat maker, and he had made a beat from a Fleetwood Mac song called Hypnotize, which is on there. Like, it's basically the record before they became the Fleetwood Mac that we know. Yeah. But not with Peter Green. So this was the last Peter Green Fleetwood Mac record. But So there were a bunch in between. And so the last one that wasn't what Fleetwood Mac became had the song Hypnotize, which is cool. I should encourage you guys to check it out. It's like kind of like a bluesy, soft rock, mid-70s thing. But he made a beat out of it. And I remember he said, oh, it's Fleetwood Mac hypnotized. And I was like thinking, like, what? I don't know that song. Yeah. Where the fuck is that coming from? It doesn't even sound like Fleetwood Mac. And uh, only later on did I realize that. So basically that's my experience and knowledge and, and whatever baggage I had coming into it. And then, yeah, so then I spent the week. I spent the week. I listened to this record. I listened to... I re-listened to the very first Fleetwood Mac record just to give it a once-over. I listened to Peter Green's first solo record called The End of the Game. I also listened to a second record he did in the late 70s, in 79. Was that In the Skies? In the Skies. The End of the right. Game. Yeah. yeah, In the Skies. Uh, there's right. two off that one that are definitely on my honorable mention list for sure. Yeah, I listened to that. He had a whole bunch of records he did in the 90s too. I didn't get to listen to ah. any of those. 
And then, oh, and I listened to John Mayle and the Blues Breakers, the album that he was on. Yeah, and so for me, okay, the thing that I agree with Ryan that, like, this came out, so Then Play On came out in 1969, and there are just traces of things that kind of are flowing in, and then you can you can clearly tell flow out. So, so there are still some blues songs on there, but there's also, like, stuff that to me sounds like the zombies a little bit. There's a Zombies 45 that I have that's one of my favorite songs of the 60s called Leave Me Be. And there are songs that sound a lot like that. Now, Leave Me Be came out like a couple years before, but there are a lot of songs that sound like like really spare and really about the singing and the song, which is really cool because I think the older Fleetwood Mac stuff is just like blues riffs. And yeah. Confession, I, the blues is cool, but it's not like my... I'm not super interested. It's like a little repetitive to me. I like songs that like kind of move and and have a clear sort of melody and a structure and like blues records are are cool. There's a lot of like technical virtuosity and all that stuff, but like rarely do they like really move me. And so what I was really stoked about and really excited about is that Then Play On wasn't that. It was like the beginning of them trying out different stuff. So yeah, I, I can totally see like what you're talking about. Like one of the things, I, there was songs on there that I'd listened to where I was like, an artist that we like, modern day artist that we like, Ariel Pink. It sounds a little bit like he, I don't know if he grabbed them directly from there, but filtered through like time. Those kinds of sounds seem to have made it in there. There's like, really, there's like, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to their Satanic Majesty's Request, the Stones album, that is a little more their like psychedelic album. Yeah. There's like stuff like that that sounds. There's like overlap there too, and and yeah, it was great. It was fun. I've been listening to this record for the last three days, and then before that, I was listening to the End of the Game. Bunch. Yeah, which is incredible. What like another great. Okay, so it. I remember when we were. I was doing the research when we decided to do this, like all the reviews for that record are shit. They're horrible. Yeah. Like one star. Yeah, one star. And and so I started listening to it. I was like, okay, this is some really cool psyched out stuff. I, I, the first thing I thought of was like Hendrix Band of Gypsies. And, um, also David, like late David Gilmore, um, Pink Floyd. Stuff. Early, early Pink Floyd. Exactly. Early Pink Floyd stuff. That's where I was like feeling that it fit. And then I actually looked at Band of Gypsies, and at the time, Band of Gypsies got like really mixed and mediocre reviews, believe it or not. Because like people were like, just it's like, it's indulgent or something like that. And it's hilarious because to me, I think, and the same sort of criticisms were like leveled at the end of the game. And to me, it's just cool, psychedelic. The, like the song structures are like way more wide open, right? Yeah. And. So there's a lot of room for like experimentation. But there's a lot of really interesting songs. There's a lot of really crazy sounds he gets out of his guitar. And to me, I think Band of Gypsies, Hendrix ditched the um, Jimi Hendrix experience guys. Got two, I got two other musicians that I think more came from the jazz world. And I think he had listened to Bitches Brew and was like really inspired by Miles Davis's record, Bitches Brew, which is like kind of a, the classic jazz rock psych rock fusion or whatever and i feel like i don't know this for a fact but i feel like the end of the game is like definitely also bitches brew inspired the same way maybe the hendrix band of gypsies is so 
Anyway, all that to say, thank you, Jenny, for yeah. for leading us down the path. Because, like I said, it, it it's been like discovering a little secret, which is super cool. Yeah. yeah. It, there there won't be any more new Peter Green, so we I guess we can. I'm happy to have introduced you to this at least. Yeah, super awesome. So, let's cut this fucker down. Yeah, let's go to the cuts. Tomo, why don't you start with your cut? I am I am surprised that coming your way didn't make yours lose. I love so, this song. I, it's great. I just I think I ran out of space. Like it, oh, it no, was on, it was on super early, and yeah, there it felt pretty like cleanly down a path for that whole song. Whereas some of the other songs played with sound in a way that I was super into and I just had to take it out. Oh, no, that's, I, I realized I came at you like <laughs> I noticed that you, yeah. No, I just, I was only just surprised because actually I don't know who's controlling the the stuff, but if they, if y'all want to if someone would like to throw that one on, that would be perhaps timely. Yeah, that'd be really Oh, but, which, which one? Coming your way? Yeah, coming your mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. The, also, like, like crying so Sorry. Yeah. No, that's the thing that there's so much in this album that's so good. Yeah. But it's all in different. There's different categories. You've got like the really quiet, brooding ones. You, but you've got this, and it's such a great. In my, I have always thought this is such a great opening song, because something about like this drum just really gets you like. It's just like all right, like we're gonna do this. This is. Yeah. Buckle up because like we're just going right directly into this shit. Yeah, um, no, no doubt. I, I totally feel the exact same way. Like, but I will say also that the second half, the where it's got the where they do the switch up and it gets like heavier. I really like that. Maybe just a little bit more. I love this drum part. But once they cut and they start doing the heavy beats and like the the high guitar guitar notes, I was just struggling to think of the word guitar notes. Once they get into that, I think that's just like pretty awesome too. So like all around, I've always loved this one. It's been one of my yeah. favorites, and I feel like it's a good intro. So I'm that, not sure I so would that, that so that made both your cut and my cut. And let's see here. Yeah, your cut and my cut, and not Ryan's cut. Ryan, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, you know, I defended myself already. If you weren't paying attention to that, <laughs> all right, okay. No, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't think I have too much to add there. Oh, I guess there's one thing, which is that, so there's this like really, there's this really cool Peruvian music called, I guess colloquially called Chicha, which is basically it's like this music started popping up in the late 60s and 70s that sort of combined cumbia, like from Colombia and Caribbean, stuff like that, and like psychedelic rock that started making into Peru, like from the States. And you just had a lot of these groups, and a lot of them came out of the jungle, which is also another kind of weird thing. Peru. A lot of musicians people know outside of the country come from Lima. A lot of these groups came out of the jungle, and they made like some really awesome psychedelic music with cumbia beats and different kinds of percussion. And so, I don't know, to me, like some of this, the, the drum and like a lot of the space for a lot of the guitar noodling reminded me of some of that music and if you really if you want to discover like chicha music there's some really good compilations you could google like the roots of chicha i think is like one and then if you really want to get into that there's groups like uh, los destellos and Juaneco y su combo and there's many others los mirlos go and find it on the internet when i discovered this music 
there was very little of this music on the internet. And I actually, on one of my trips to Peru, I brought back a whole suitcase full of vinyl. Um, of just vinyl that was like I knew about the group and I knew that but I didn't know what it was but I knew I should probably pick it up and then I digitized a whole bunch of it so I can listen to it these days but now it's like all over the place so all good but yeah that's about it that's all I got for that one I was just listening to this the guitar solo at the end here also pretty cool it's it really is I know it's not like this is a unique instrument that no one's ever heard before, but it really is the kind of thing that I I don't know if there's really any other guitar that I can really point to that be like, yeah, no, it's just the same. Anyway. I mean, there's a lot of pieces, right? Like when you listen to a lot of these solos, there's a lot of Clapton style in these solos. But I think back on the comment about how we've got this guy and he's better than Eric. Like, he he is in the way that he is so much more versatile and a lot of his solos he chooses some really interesting gaps where he'll leave space in a solo where you're not expecting it it's really good yeah uh, what i like I think- about his what i like about his solos is like a lot of them are really about tone like just having this like really perfect tone and less about noodling and type shit. Like, he was a minimalist. Yeah. yeah. So, it's just like only what I want to be there and no frills. Like just just the notes. Yeah. So this next song, right? One uh, sunny day. Oh, yeah. I'm a loner on that. Oh, Great. Wow. Now, it's so hard to cut things off this album. I know. I know, I know. It's, yeah. One sunny day was that made my <laughs> secondary runner-up list. Yeah. I, this is one of the bluesy ones that I actually really like, and I'm not, I'm with Alonzo. I'm not really much for the blues in general. It's fine. It's not my go-to. It, it does tend to get a little repetitive after a while, but this song, I think it just, it has just enough of that sort of like beat. I can just headbang to it as I'm going about my business and something about that I really love. I mean, I love how percussion centered some of these are. It's nice that like his guitar isn't the only highlight. There's some interesting or at least different drum work going on in these that I like. Yeah. And we don't have to listen to the whole thing. And I don't know that I have too much more to say except for that. Like, <laughs> I think, yeah. Okay, I just, I don't know. I always have loved this one so much. Um, no, it's a cool song. Uh, I got nothing it's, bad to say about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a really good example of like really straightforward, fuzzed out blues, which I, I really think like at this point in time, like this era of classic rock, some of the more fuzzed out blues really like it, it rides through so much like there's a little bit of hendrix and in, in the way he plays through this um, yeah it's so just side, side note there's apparently a fleetwood mac live record i think it's called live in chicago yeah and with peter green and what it was they went to chess records which is like the very famous record label with all the kind of Chicago Blues guys, Muddy Waters, etc. And they recorded with and jammed basically for a day at Chess Records with a bunch of these like classic blues musicians. And I've heard it's really good. I have not listened to it yet, but I've heard it's it's basically if you want their like one 
I don't know, if you want like one example of just master class and like blues, <laughs> rock or whatever, that would be the one from what I heard. Well, and they certainly lend themselves well to like live recording. Even the way that they record these albums really like has a solid live feel to it. Like you can hear the room really well. Okay, let's take us to Rattlesnake Shake, which is yeah. another one of the kind of bluesier songs. Yeah, yeah, the masturbation song, I think, is yeah, what you brought I mean, up last time. Absolutely. And I don't know if you guys... Oh, nice, you found the, the Playboy After Dark version. Oh, oh yeah, look at Hugh Hefner. Sorry we're, sorry for podcast listeners, we're, we're playing a video and it's got Hugh Hefner in it. Yeah. Pre, pre-smoking jacket. I guess he's got a smoking jacket on, but pre... Like, he looks more like Dean Martin. Yeah, totally, Hefner, right? than traditional yeah. Hugh Hefner look. This is actually, we watched this earlier and it is fun. I mean, Peter Green is having fun. Mick Fleetwood is really into it. Uh, like, this is just. I'm not going to lie, I think I would probably be having fun if I were there. Yeah. 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 The smile on his face says a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because let's be honest, there wasn't a, towards the, the, I say the end as if three years was such a long time, but like towards the end, like that was not all that common. Well, I don't know what's up with McFleetwood's shirt there, but... Yeah, I don't know about It's that. amazing. He looks like he was in that, but Nick Mason groove. Like, when you see, like, early <laughs> totally. Pink Floyd video, totally. like, Live at Pompeii, Nick Mason has that same kind of disconnected, like, super happy about what... By the way, shout out to Live at Pompeii. Holy shit. That's a, yeah. I mean, yeah. Go watch the... It's on YouTube. Go watch the YouTube. Yeah. Uh, the YouTube watch video. it on the... Watch it on the biggest screen you can find. Yeah. Just enjoy. Pretty, um, pretty awesome. Yeah. Rattlesnake's Shake, though. Like, I, this, I think this made all three lists? No. Alonso, yeah. this one it did not. Uh, list, yeah. So. I mean, I, I largely stayed away from the kind of blues rockers. Uh, Fair enough. This is, this is ZZ Top prior to ZZ Top. Like, this is perfect, like, Texas blues. It's so good. It's good. It's, 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 it's really good, like... I, I'm sorry, I'm just captivated by all the white girls like swaying. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, and definitely sure. like 70s, 60s, 70s, like white girls sort of like, I don't know, I, don't, I yeah. can't really quite do if it. If Austin like, Powers were to walk into sure. scene, <laughs> I would not be surprised. Look at that. Um, yeah. And like, one of the things that, that they, if you ever get around to the documentary, and I didn't mean that to sound passive aggressive at all. Since you haven't seen it, if you're lazy, you know, they, it gets around. No, no. Listen, I have no room to talk to anyone else about it, not having time. Cannot. That's not a, a stone I can throw. But they talk about how, in the beginning, at least, so I assume the first six. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> the beginning, they actually had a lot of fun on the road, and they were talking about how, like, they had this dildo and they named it Harold, and it would sit up on John McVie's or Mick Fleetwood's like drum set, and so. This is like one of those times, like when I watched that, I was like, oh, this was one of the fun times they were having. You can just yeah. look at them and tell. And Mick Fleetwood, like literally the lyrics of that song are, I know this guy, his name is Mick. He don't care if he ain't got no chick, he'll do the, the shake. <laughs> right, the right. And, and like Mick Fleetwood is, does not, he does not care. He's sure, let's just write a joke song about me jacking off and I will have It'll fun while I'm playing it. Yeah. Hey, man. Like, like, uh, it is uh, potentially their sweater song, except for I think, yeah. oh, I might win the sweater song. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we do have to. I think I can identify with their free bird, if you ask me. Have, we'll do yeah. that. We'll do that here in a okay. second. So we'll next on it. your deal here is Showbiz Blues, a song that I. I think like, we both got that one. I, yeah, I think we all. Yeah, all three of us really? like put it on there. So to me, this is like a 
this is like a good compromise to me between because it's definitely like a blues song. It's got, it, it's this just made me want to go buy. Yeah, it made me go want to go buy a resonator like that beautiful like resonator slide. Oh yeah, the slide guitar on here sounds amazing. So good. What I like about it, it still sounds pretty spare because it's just basically the guitar and singing and tambourine. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it just doesn't seem like over. It doesn't seem like full blues rock like some of the other ones. Yeah. And 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 you know what? I, I know you find this interesting, but this kind, this song kind of reminded me a little bit of Bruce Springsteen's album Nebraska. Like, yeah. Bruce Springsteen has a bunch of the Nebraska album has a bunch of songs where it's just him and a guitar that's really clean, just strumming. If there's any percussion, it might be like a tambourine or something like that, and really spare. And I really love that sound. Tangential thought that when I was listening to this earlier today, I realized like if I were a DJ, I would follow this up immediately with Norman Tanega's "You're Dead." It's got that exact same, and it would flow so seamlessly, and it would be perfect. And I know that's not relevant to this song, but I'm throwing that out there. That is such an amazing nice. song. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. good reference. They would flow seamlessly into one another. For sure. Nice. But yeah, this is, it's a great, it's a solid blues song. It's simple, but like that, the slide guitar through this really just anytime I thought about cutting this off my EP, I, all I had to do was start it up again and, and it was right back onto it. This is not where you make space for other songs. <laughs> one yeah, no doubt. Yeah, shit, I don't know much. I, I don't really have much else to say, man. It's just a cool song. It's cool. Yeah. I love the sound. I love, like, the arrangement. Yeah, nothing much else to say. I guess we can move on to my yeah. dream. Uh, so my dream is that's not a Peter Green song, right? He doesn't have the writing credit on he it. He doesn't have the writing, writing credit. credit. We're not, whatever. Yeah. But I, I did want to mention that he Peter Green has, what, about, like, half of the writing credits? like roughly on this record and like a guy named Danny Kerwin who was mm -hmm. also on a bunch of other Fleetwood Mac albums has the record yeah. has the writing record on many of the other songs Danny Kerwin's first album with them was actually this one I think and I'm not sure how long he stuck around except for that he stuck around a little bit longer I think than that's right. Green did 68 um, and 72 he left in yeah yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. This is an, uh, an full-on instrumental, but I have always loved this song so forever. Beautiful. It is beautiful, and I'm going to make you listen to Apostle in the After Party because this is the counterpart on In the Skies to this one. There so, is talk about a, a beautiful sounding guitar. I'm not sure it gets too much better than this one for me. It's got it's like a detuned reverb that plays on this like clean guitar that. Yeah, I was. We were talking earlier. It it, it sounds like like it has a Mac DeMarco kind of progression. Yeah, for sure. It has that like that detuned reverb is so on point for what he's been doing for the last couple albums. Yeah, it's and again, Deer Hunter, right? The same kind of like. Mm -hmm forward progression it's beautiful yeah all you have to do is record it onto a tape and then like play it back with a little distortion and then you'd have your mac yeah so, yeah so, so something else this reminds me of is have you guys ever listened to eno's apollo album 
you recommended it, and I've listened to it a couple times. Yeah, but not it's to be it's a quick and easy reference in my brain. It's so good. It's supposed to be the soundtrack to a documentary about the the landing on the moon, and, and so what's really cool about it is so it's not like an ambient. It's not like in his airport albums or music for airports, or whatever. It's not anything like that. It's, it's spare, but th they play a lot of kind of country style guitar, twangy guitar. And the reason they did that was that it turns out like all the astronauts, that's like what they like, country western music. And huh. it sounds beautiful. It just sounds beautiful because it's just like taking that sound and putting it in a different context. Right? And so for yeah. me, this is a very kind of reverby, sort of country surfy, sort of like western surfy sort of yeah. sound. And like, it's in a different context, which is just kind of like psychedelic sort of jam type of yeah. deal. And I think it sounds great. It's, yeah. it, it was on mine, it was on all three of ours. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, this was one that like, as I listened to the album and it went from listening to it to making my cut, this is like top of my list. First, nice. first song I wrote down, first one I wanted to talk about. It just, nice. it has such a beautiful sound that is still, it still feels like a modern interpretation. Like it still feels like a fresh track that feel like no other song on this album like sounds that way. And I don't know if anybody was recording anything that sounded like that at this point it's time. definitely Just, and the, the mac demarco stuff is definitely yeah you're totally right i can see it clear yeah and you want you wonder if he was if he listened to this stuff or you wonder if it just filtered down in some way or yeah who knows? I, don't, I don't know but like it's certainly it, it's a wonderful track like if you heard but, that song and you and someone said oh that's mac demarco's like new shit like you would believe it like yeah wouldn't it wouldn't surprise you. me yeah. it wouldn't surprise yeah, yeah for sure okay so, yeah, sorry. The next one, Before the Beginning. The yeah. One oh, was I alone on that one? Too? Oh, no, wait, you had it. Okay. Yeah. I was left out on this one again, and it was a time constraint. Like, it was to it was totally like this was on my list, and then it had to get cut. Like, it was, it just didn't fit, but God damn it, it's so good. Really. Like, it's, it's not my favorite. It's not my number one, but it is one that, like, every time it comes on, I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, I can't cut that one. Like, that one's, like, legit. It has especially the i don't know i think it's just one of those few instances of him the songs where he just decides to get really in his feelings and it works out so well it's not overdone it just feels like really genuine and especially the solos in this one i really love too his tone in this has so much depth in it uh, yeah this song this song is the song that i think of all the songs on this record sounds the most like the end of the game yeah. Like, I think this song could maybe even could go on the end of the game, potentially. And I'm excited to actually listen to that album because I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm going to, I'll yeah. get to well, it. Yeah, I'll play a couple highlights on the, in the after party, but yeah, it's really cool. I think, yeah, it's totally right. Like, it, get, it gets really into the emotions, singing very heartfelt, playing very heartfelt, and there's really not right. much else going on. As compared great. to like last week when we were just like like some of these dudes were these guys who were playing like hard rock were like trying to making that that emo foray with him like it does it just never feels contrived and it doesn't feel like overdone or anything like that it's just very like, yeah yeah it, he's there's a lot of depth of emotion in the way he plays and the things he writes yeah this song's fantastic all right so 
Finally, the last track, the whole, like, oh sweet, which on the version of the record that I listened to, it was one song. In this remaster, yeah, it's... it was split into two and they were mono recording on the remaster. And oh, part two is very different from part one, they are not alike at all. Yeah, so, it's funny because it's so much more upbeat. Like, yeah, it, the thing I was thinking about is for the last couple albums have done this interesting thing where they'll do two tracks that have a similar name and actually kind of play through the same like series of emotions and one is the more downbeat slower reflective piece and the other is super up tempo this is arranged in that same way except part one is super up tempo and two is just like much more Oh man, this is one of the jammy songs. It's part, so cool. part one is like super up tempo yeah. blues, like blues yeah. rock, dirty, sleazy blues rock. I, I was just gonna say that, that there's, if you think about bands like Queens of the Stone Age, that like kind of desert rock piece that they're a part mm. of, right? Caius, Queens, you know, bands like that. There's a lot of that in this, in this like kind of driving, grinding groove that's so good. It's also what I would consider to be their sweater song because of mostly the lyrics, whereas I don't care about the shape I'm in, I can't sing I'm not pretty and my legs are thin, but also don't ask me what I think of you. You might not get the answer that you want, or you might not hear the answer that you want me to or something like that, which I think is great. It's just basically, look, I'm not shit and neither are you. Let's all just move on, which I really yeah. love. Um, there, Okay. Right. No, no, I, I'm interrupting. Go ahead. I was going to say, this song is actually making a comeback right now, you guys. I don't know if you uh, scrolled through the notes to see that, but I, did um, see that. Yeah. I keep watching like TV shows or movies and people keep bringing this in. Like I, it's in allegedly in Jerry Maguire, although rewatching Jerry Maguire was not on my list of things to do today. And I have not verified that, but the internet says don't it's know in where there. We're I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Right? yeah. I'll take um, your word for it. But it was in Fargo, season two, episode one of Fargo. There's a Ooh. great montage where they have, they're doing like the montage with Richard Nixon, I think. And it's just, they have this playing over that and it's perfect. And I tried to to get a YouTube of it to show you, but sadly we failed on that part. And but, it has that, it has that, it has that meet the heist crew. That could play at like on Baby Driver. Yeah, like, like and kind of meet everyone as part of the crew. You're that's, thinking like John Spencer, different. John Spencer's, Blues explosion, yeah. right? or or the Black Crows, like so, it kind of with the, the part where like it's just the vocals and he's just singing right. the refrain, like it's, it's making some like castanets or something that really. Yeah, like, yeah. Go ahead, Jenny. Uh, I literally only was going to add that most recently we were watching The End of the Fucking World, which I think is like a British TV show. So well, weird kids, but it's actually in that twice. It's in two, that that show two different times, and every time. I'm, I'm always surprised, but I guess I shouldn't be. So my point is, people are really uh, attaching to that lately in, yeah. in the TV it, Yeah, it, it was a hit at the time, but yeah, no, no doubt. What's really but funny, yeah. I love, I mean, me, I like this part better. Yeah, and, oh, I, I mean, love this too. Part two is beautiful. Part, like, the thing that I kept thinking about is there are moments where Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green, it's like a, it's like a Ren Fair. Mm. But like halfway through, some really hard-hitting dark acid kicks in, <laughs> and things get like super fear and loathing. Yeah. Things 
they're really good at, at this like breakdown bridge solo that just becomes like Dude, the, chaotic the, and completely different than the rest of the song and it's yeah. it just it's beautiful. Dude this Yes. This is an yeah. Ennio Morricone outtake. This is yeah. like yeah, this, for sure. Yeah, and, and like the fact that like a blues rock band was trying to do this shit at the time. I don't know, maybe they went to see like the good, bad and the ugly. Uh, and this was not the only thing in, in the recordings that I listened to that made me think of Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Like, yeah. There were a few cuts that, that were very spaghetti western. Like it's it's amazing. It's like it's a totally dude, this is totally a stare down drawn out like five minutes scene yeah no it's it's, oh, it's like, very dramatic super like, extreme yeah. close-up on the eyes with the like mm-hmm. brim hat okay and then cut to the other cut to the other gunfighter totally yeah. that and for me i love that shit i just love that yeah shit. like they, they give the music they give like the instruments a little room to breathe and be like emotion emotive and expressive and like, that's the thing i keep coming back to about this guy and his guitar and his play guitar playing style it like he doesn't need. He doesn't need to. Bu- he, he's not really interested in showing off in the way that, like, yeah. you know, what he's so good at is like making his guitar sing, and that's yeah. the thing he, that impresses me, like, over and over. He, he has an amazing ear for like where these tone, where the tone exists, like where his sweet spot is on the tone knobs, and and it just, yeah, it's it's beautiful. I, I, I'm really sorry. I got to step away for like a half a second. So um, okay, we can, we, yeah, we'll, we'll just pause. No, that's fine. We'll we'll pause because okay. I can I can cut this. There's no problem. Sorry. No, it's all good. But uh, this part is really I couldn't lose it either because I love this part too. It's very great. It's like the sort of thing that oh I guess we shouldn't be doing this while we're not. No, doing no, it's it's all good. I, I like I just I don't know what it is, but I definitely gravitate to this stuff. And actually, this mm-hmm. part like it reminds me of so there okay so there's this guy see this is good we could talk about this now because this is probably going to be too obscure for but there's a guy named santo alaya mm-hmm. who is gustavo santaolaya yeah who's Argent- argentinian and he so like in recent years he's like basically become a film composer so he did Brokeback Mountain, and he did The Last of Us, the video game, and he oh, did Lord. Making a Murder, he did Babel, I don't know, he's done a ton, I think he did The Revenant, maybe? He's just done a ton of, like, different, anyway, uh, a ton of different stuff. So he's from Argentina, and he has all these bands, like, he has all these bands that he worked with and did music for, and, like, a lot of it totally doesn't surprise me if he came of, like, a whatever some sort of film soundtrack creator because mm-hmm. his band in the 70s is a band called arco iris right like rainbow and it is dude i have to play a couple of cuts from there like it is so out there and cool and it's like a shame that pink floyd is so well known and these nobody knows about these guys in the english world, oh. like in the english speaking yeah. world that is a sh- yeah no I'm definitely down to get some cooler and more underground Pink Floyd stuff. yeah like dude Argent- there's a so like the Argentina like psych rock scene mm-hmm. there's so much cool shit man there's even Dang. cool stuff in the American or the Peruvian scene there's not much of it but there's definitely yeah. some cool stuff there no I'd be able to check some of that out because I have one of the things I'm I meant to tell you and it never really came, it wasn't relevant, it didn't really fit in, was that 
after last week, we went and watched the, the documentary about the making of It Wasn't Me. Mm-hmm. And Chris goes, which was awesome. We enjoyed it. But Chris goes, oh, man, I heard that album just like my whole childhood. And I said, why? And he was because when that album came out, like my mom and dad loved it. Like anytime we were in the car, we were just listening to Shaggy. Anytime like we anything, it was like Shaggy. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like of all the things I could glom on to, like that was American. Like Shaggy <laughs> with it? Shaggy. So it would actually be cool to get like some actually some Peruvian stuff. Uh, to add <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll get there, man. We'll get all there. Right. I, we'll get there for sure. I got some shit there. Anyway, so where, where do we leave off? Sorry. So, Toma, and I hope my levels are still decent because I had too many this week and I had to abandon my headphones. So, what are you, do you have some final thoughts on your cut, Toma? I don't know. I don't know if I have any deep thoughts about it except for that. Because at this point, I've listened to all of these songs. I've heard them so many times that they're just, they feel like they're just like an extension anymore. I don't give them that much conscious thought. They're just like, they're just always, they've always been there. Um, so your final thoughts are you're cooler than us. <laughs> yeah, but also that I think that... One of the things I really do like about this album, just to beat this dead horse some more though, is that I think it's amazing to have a mix from a two disc one cut that runs the gamut of everything from fruity bluesy stuff all the way to like things like My Dream or O Part 2, which you would never in a million years expect to hear on the same record. I love that about this. I think they, they do so many different styles here and they do all of them, which is a rarity. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too. And like a lot of the two disc one cut focus as I'm starting to cut these things is where's the, like with Wilco, right? There was like, there were three albums worth of sound in Wilco being there for sure. Like yeah. easily could be cut into an album that sounds consistent as an EP or a single disc. This, you struggle to get an EP if it was just like straight blues track like you like this if anything there's like a single in every genre oh yeah yeah it's amazing i think yeah. and i think that see it's funny because i feel like that made it easier for me to make an ep because there was so much diversity that i could pick okay this is my more favorite bluesy thing and this one is my more favorite like 60s pop thing and this one's like my more favorite super almost ambient instrumental thing i would um, agree with it so yeah okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna do the ones yeah. the the stuff for my kids so i also had showbiz blues then the next song i had was when you when say, you say. that the thing that makes me happy about these cuts is that there are a lot of times where the song that i want to put on my album doesn't make the cut but then i see that you guys are able to pull them in and like we still get to talk about yeah. it okay i i like this because i'm just totally a sucker for like 60s folk pop like you know just to be like some kind of white guy singing forlornly in a sort of folky style i don't know what it does what where my wires are crossed in my brain but there's something i like i think about a little bit like uh, nick drake and uh, some of the other kind of some of the other sort of acoustic folk musicians that like don't stay like slavish to the folk sounds, right? And they're trying to go in different directions. So yeah. And to me, like, songs like this are the roots of, a little bit of the roots of, like, stuff like, like, 
Elliot Smith and yeah, you know, yeah, I thought that as well with this track in particular. There's, Which there's a pensive, forlorn, like Elliot Smith vibe. Which I think we're doing. Aren't we doing like an Elliot mm-hmm. Smith like we, yeah, mashup we to, next week? Yeah, we need to discuss what that looks like because much like Peter Green, like here's a huge catalog of wonderful. Music. Yeah. There is, but I already I'm cool made it. Greatest hits, but and I'm probably cool with making a greater greatest hits for Elliot Smith than almost any other artist <laughs> I've put enough time in on on that. I was trying to do that with Peter Green, and it's like, all right, we're gonna hit the high, maybe the high points of each stage of his career, and that's right, still right. gonna. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Um, also, my bad, guys, because I, I was working from the assumption that we could just do a two-disc, and I should have more clearly said that earlier in the process. No, life. this is cool, man. I'm glad I listened to all the other stuff. The other stuff yeah, is like this, gem. This was the album I was most familiar with, so it was easy to do a two-disc one cut for this, but not knowing that this is what the focus was got me a chance to really dig into some stuff that I not dug into with his career. Uh, as, as like with anything, like the fuck ups are way more interesting. I, I yeah. was, <laughs> basically. All right. Um, so, so anyway. So, so yeah. So the next one I did, I also chose, which like for me was like, part one is like a great bluesy, cool song, and then part two, like we talked about. I also chose the next one before the beginning, and then one that Jenny did not choose. Although but the sun I is do shining. that song. I do that song a lot. And if I could have kept it, I would have. Yeah, so, it's such a Beatles song. Like, I don't want to steal that out from under where I'm sure you were. But this is such a beautiful Beatles-esque song. In a way that, like, no other song on this album. So this is the song that reminded me the most of that zombie song, Leave Me Be. Oh, yeah. And I love that sound. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Just by the way, yeah. if you guys or anyone listening has, like doesn't know much about the zombies fuck man you are long overdue for a deep dive there like it's that problem yeah yeah um like i've got some of their 45s like i've got a small 45 collection but basically i got like a treasure trove of like amazing 45s from my in-laws and they did they had a time of the season but, and then I started just, I started listening to Zombies more in general, and that song was amazing, and I was like, I got, and it didn't, I think, I think Leave Me Be didn't come out on an album, so I was just like, fuck it, I need to go find the 45, and I think I got it on eBay or some shit. Right. But anyway, this song, yeah, to me, yeah, Beatles, Zombies, Britpop of the 60s, psychedelic Britpop of the 60s, that shit's just my jam. That was the rationale there. It's a pretty song. Yeah, this is a beautiful track. This is another example of like a perfect single. And John, like, yeah, just beautiful. For me, the next one was one that I think both Ryan and I had. Jenny did not. Oh. And, and so, just this one's the Green Monolishi. So mm-hmm. the the thing about this song is it was not actually on the. It was not actually on the version of the album I listened to, which I, my, my version was a 13-track version with, I think it was the CD version, like maybe came out in the 90s. Yeah. So this uh, song was not on there. This song, I think, was a single that was released and charted. 
Um, yeah, and it was you, Peter Green's last song, actually, the last one. That is that right? It recorded with them, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I'm I, I, sure. I think the documentary did talk about it. This is like, yeah. it's Jethro Tull. Like, mm -hmm. Dude, it is pre-prog rock. Like, it is, this yeah. is like, this it's could be. like Crimson, Jethro Tull. Totally. Like, main, heavy, dark. Beer. Like the transitions and all the different pieces is like almost like a Rush song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like before Rush. There's just so much going on and there's just there's this piece and there's this piece and then there's this transition and there's this totally other piece and then it goes into a completely different direction. So I just thought it was unique and I literally listened to this when you put out the show notes because I was like, oh shit, I don't know this song. I should probably listen to it. And I was like, this song is pretty uh. fucking cool. There's only five different versions of this album that have been released over the years, which again, could, I could have probably thought about that sooner, but I just went on iTunes and re- I'm using these episodes as an excuse to go rebuy all the music that I should have, and so I just am like, I, you know, I pull it up, I buy it, and then I realize after the fact, like, shit, there's five different versions of this album over the yeah, years. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a victim of, so I, I subscribe to Amazon. I just, they deliver music in a way that lets me get like full out. And yeah, the version that they have available is the 2013 remaster. It has like eight tracks. There's always that moment of, okay, we're cutting this thing. Do I want to include this stuff that's in a remastered release? Or are we looking at like the original release? And I just, I figure like the more we can talk about in terms of like, versions that are out there that may like if you need track listing or you need selection of tracks it's still it's worth delving into there's i don't know i'm fascinated there are a bunch of different stooges releases that are coming out i think there was just like a 50th anniversary of fun house drop it's like a six disc collection just enormous it's always worth digging into these weird cuts that show up on different albums. Yeah, you sometimes, yeah, you do sometimes find some, like, weird gems or shit that you just otherwise yeah. would never have heard of. And this is a fantastic example of that. Like, this is so much heavier than all the other stuff. But if you were to strip out pieces of it, you'd find that same delusion that's on every track release up to this point just a little bit more tripped out. Yeah, it's so weird, uh, but so cool, so ahead of its time. So then the next couple tracks were ones we already covered, My Dream and Coming Your Way, but the last track on my cut is actually is actually closing my eyes, which is track two. Yeah. Um, it's like, such a good song. Such a good song. Yeah, and, and an interesting track to follow the opener, right? It's, it's Yeah. Because they like brought you way up, and it's like, all right, now sit the fuck back down. <laughs> we're gonna get, we're gonna get real in our feelings now. I um, think about that a lot as we're making these cuts, and the fact that ends up like a little bit later, I'll, it closes Alonzo's cut. It's like midway through for my cut because I like my albums to like peak and valley <laughs> and peak and yeah, yeah. It's a great closer though. It's such a beautiful track. It's Peter Green's first first writing credit on the album, like in chrono, like chronologically, yeah. and 
Yeah, that's it's so interesting because yeah, because like for yeah, for me, like I like my cuts to die. Like I want them to like rest at the end. I want them to rest at the end, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I want to go to sleep. I want to fall asleep. And maybe that's one of those things. It's just I've definitely, especially when I was younger, I would listen to records and then fall asleep to them sometimes. And like this track, so we had I had an interesting experience when you visited last Toma, where. I played the damned Alone Again or cover and we were like, oh yeah, this is that this is that fantastic love track. Mm-hmm. And it's like somebody pulled the emergency brake on my awareness. Oh, wait a minute. Like, this is not only a cover, but it's a cover of a band I've never listened to. So I dug back into love. Oh, it, nice. It's funny, Dad came to visit shortly thereafter and we made a drive to... Uh, Salt Lake City, we went to the Salt Flats and watched like some some deep trials. It was great. It, it was a blast. But like, How did Abdul feel about it? Was he familiar? He, so, he was not familiar. I think he enjoyed it. Yeah. But, you know, it's always tough. It's, it's always tough to get my father's taste because this is totally up his alley, but he's not he's not the music nerd that your dad is or that I like he doesn't dig into things as much but it, it's very much oh i haven't listened to this and i forgot these guys existed and i think the peter green situation for him is the same stevie nicks landed lindsey buckingham it would matter what is that like that's, yeah. that's the thing. this song is it's stunning like it reminds me of a love track it reminds me of that there's a little country western there's a lot of like pensive, forlorn, like emotion. Yeah. But also that Ennio Morricone, spaghetti western, like mm-hmm. super twangy range guitar that follows through it. But yeah, it's beautiful. I think if I had to, it would be a close call, but I think this might have to be the Freebird. I'd have to give this one the Freebird award. But also. I know, I'm fixing my camera. Yeah. This one is, it's not really as much musical blues but it feels like he went full-on emotional blues in this one yeah. like it might not have been blues rock but like we're definitely pop in we're definitely still um at this, at this like this would be a really good soundtrack to the suicides yeah I, and honestly yeah. this is an amazing song but i think that having watched that documentary years ago and just being like already aware of all of this very sad circumstances of Peter Green's life. I feel, sometimes I feel like it's like a little too much. Sometimes I prefer not to dwell on how miserable he was. And sometimes yeah. like songs like this remind me of that. And it's not that they're not great songs, they are. But I think that's why sometimes I like... You know, yeah, I, I, I try not to think about that too much because yeah, no doubt. Like sometimes in some ways you're listening to this like person's yeah. downfall or just descent. There's there's a moment in the documentary where they talk about the song Man of the World. Yeah, this is the first Peter Green call for help. And you listen to that track and feel like, how is this the first call for help? It's so intensely depressed. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. Really good. Yeah, and also Big Fleetwood being like, oh no, we didn't notice anything. I'm like, bro, <laughs> we all. Like, they were all busy doing blow. I don't know, who knows. Yeah. 
I, maybe that was I, later Fleetwood Mac, I guess, probably. It's almost like they got introduced to psychedelics around the Peter Green time frame, and then, mm. like, cocaine came when they were all dealing with the crash of their own marriage. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so that, that kicks it off for me, or that ends it for me. Ryan, there's a ton of overlap, but you have, I want to say, like three, three songs. Yeah. Three songs that we haven't covered yet, so the first one being Underway. Underway. Yeah, I... I uh, this is another instance of really a different sound for this time frame. And I don't know, there's something like pleasant and upbeat to this song. And then, like, I don't mean the band air, but there's this kind of airy, upbeat component to this song that a lot of other tracks didn't have. It's, I think, a little bit Jimi Hendrix experience. Like, this is a little castle made of sand, almost. Yeah. Oh, I could totally hear that, yeah. That's and it, it precedes... It precedes that. Like, it just... It's another example of how these guys, together as a band, created sounds that people didn't think of for the next 40 years. It just... It's like it got lost in the history of rock and roll and then revisited post-emo, like, 2000 the way that really gave credence to a thing that people dismissed for a very long time. <laughs> There's it's just this is a beautiful little instrumental track. Yeah, it is. it's a nice little jam. But yeah, and this one also reminds me of, like I was saying, the Apollo uh, record, yeah. which I, I highly recommend. If you haven't listened to Jenny, you should totally check it out. It's I work to it all the time, actually. It's really, like, really very pleasant to listen to. And then, so, Jenny, do you have any anything to add there? This one, this one was always like a really nice welcome transition, I felt, like always. It had a very comfortable place in the lineup. It only, like many other things, only did not make Mike because you can't keep everything and something's mm-hmm. gotta go, and that's the struggle. Okay, so the next one, Ryan, you did was Fighting for Madge. Yeah, one of two in the Mad, like two, like the bookends of the Madge songs, right? Mm-hmm. The next one comes late in the album, track 11. Uh, track eleven the, on track eleven on your on the one yeah, probably yeah. we listened to. <laughs> yeah. Track apparently track three on the remastered edition, the twenty fifteen so remastered edition. So this this version this song fighting for Madge is track three. The other half of it is track eleven, right? Searching right. for me, which like this felt like it had some jam components, but it feels like a more composed song. Where it's searching for match feels like they're post Grateful Dead, like, all right, we're just gonna jam out. And it's got some beautiful guitar work. Uh, I think it's another of the, I think all three of the tracks that don't overlap for me are instrumental tracks. It's just great. It's such a, like, it's cool. I definitely hear some Grateful Dead vibes there too. It's the only one, by the way, it's the only one written by Mick Fleetwood on this record. Huh. Apparently. B has the credit, the writing credit for searching. That's right. Yeah. The other half of this, which you'd have a hard time convincing me that they weren't record, recorded simultaneously and edited. There's just like two pieces track. of a jam or something. Yeah, yeah. Like part, like somebody didn't like the fact that they had a 12-minute song. You know, like, <laughs> we can't. This is 
we can't do a 12 minute song on this album. We're gonna have to cut this up. And the other one just it fades in like a beautiful bookend and again would have made my cut as as a complete piece, but just didn't have the time. Yeah. So yeah. so lastly, your last song that you picked I think the yeah, the last song on the remaster, apparently. Yeah. Um called World in Harmony. Which is a happy little song. So that's how you're going to end it it's the same the, way. It's the Bob Ross of this album. Yeah. <laughs> the Bob Ross of this album. Like, I mean, the, the video looks like the like the slides on the video that we're watching. Yeah, yeah. Look like they could be Bob Ross. It has a little bit of that like REM feel to this. Yeah, song. yeah, for sure. This is a great song. Yeah. No mistake. It is wonderful. Yeah. I also like when it like kicks into the rest of the other shift into it. That's so like last oh, minute of the song, yeah. And again, that's another good example. Peter Green had an understanding way that these musical components fit together in a way that a lot of people didn't at this time. And mm. the fact that he can make that kind of progressional scene change partway through a song and it still feel like a coherent song. Yeah. It is. You know, it's his ability. There are just so many transitions, even not even not just between these songs, but even within them. And every single one of them is just like seamless without a hitch from one beat, like completely switching to another, just right through. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's the documentary again, talked about it a lot. It's an incredible thing to watch. Partly because you get some really coherent first-person discussions about what was happening. You also get a lot of, like, time with Peter Green and get to see him reflecting on a time that's very long gone for him. The entire time he was in Fleetwood Mac, the way he thought of it was that it was temporarily a band he part in. And it just, it's a beautiful piece. The, the documentary is a lovely kind of stroll what was the heyday of his career to kind of fell apart for him. And World in Harmony, this could be an instrumental track on albums for the next 20 years. No one would bat an eye. It's, this whole album's incredible, incredibly ahead of its time. Okay, so that, okay, so I think we, we did it. I think we cut it down. Yeah. We cut it down, yeah. each of us. I think we've got a good diversity of tracks. How would you guys rate this out of five stars? I've been thinking about this a bit. It's hard. I'd give it a five. That was a foregone conclusion. And also, I think there's also another piece, which is just, there's a, an extra kind of nostalgia relationship with your dad piece yeah. right like that naturally sure. is going to color what you feel yeah, about it. i think that even all of that aside musically i think it earns a five my rating i i have rated albums lower when there are songs even if they've got great songs but there are some that i like skip mm -hmm. it's like uh, if i really get bored of this song then it's, i've got to take some points off because it's not a coherent piece but like this one i listen all the way through i don't skip a single song on here nice awesome okay five stars for jenny I can go next. I think for me, it's a tough one just in so far as 
I, I, I agree with you, Jenny. I don't think there's a track I wouldn't listen to. And even la last night I was listening to it again. And just being able to play through it and just be mellow and be taken in and out of mm -hmm. things, it was really nice. It was really nice. And I'm thinking, I guess the only thing that I think about is that there are so many great records from around this time, too. I feel like do the same thing. And I don't know if it's just my like my own personal taste, but I think that it holds up to like basically most of these like awesome amazing records from around that time. And I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it four stars. And the thing that I've done here is that I've realized is I think I've pretty much given every record we've done four stars, which is like says something. I don't know what the fuck it says. <laughs> Like, I like all of them, so... Um, means you're having, like, a, a decent amount of fun every time. The well, same that's, amount. That's good. <laughs> I guess the same amount. Yeah, I don't know. I should probably, like, fuck, you know, we should probably do Limp Bizkit next time or some shit. <laughs> so I can, give, like, can give it one star. <laughs> I give this Limp Bizkit album four, four stars. Uh, uh, I give it one chocolate starfish. Yeah, one yeah. chocolate starfish. <laughs> and a hot There's, dog. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know. The chocolate starfish gets you four stars. You add the hot dog; it's a solid. Unrelated, <laughs> I just want to, I want you guys to know because I appreciated this. Somebody has spray painted chocolate starfish on the Walnut Street Bridge, and it's a matter of great consternation to the uh, residents of South Park. That's uh, beautiful. That seems about and right. I, there was a guy I knew in Morgantown that was part of uh, during quarantine his his band in California. So. Since left and joined a different band, but his current lineup band did a lot of Limp Bizkit covers to start quarantine. It was pretty fun. <laughs> nice, Ryan. Four out of five stars. What do you think? So it's tough because I think if I were to say there were a Pete Fleetwood Mac for me, this would be that album. Like, like. Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac is great, but I don't know if it's my intense exposure to that over time, just the fact that this is so out of left field for what in my head for so long was Fleetwood Mac. This is, yeah, if someone were to ask me like what Fleetwood Mac I should listen to, Obviously, Rumors is a great choice for being able to talk about Fleetwood Mac with other people. Mm -hmm. But if you want, like, peak musical quality Fleetwood Mac, this is probably it for me. I feel like they're all over the place in terms of sound, but I'm really happy about that because they're doing it. At Not a lot of other people were playing around as much as they were. And you can see that influence on so many other bands that are contemporaries and fans yet to come. We were talking about Showbiz Blues, right? That's a Led Zeppelin song. Like, Showbiz Blues, is it could easily be a Zeppelin track. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's beautiful and amazing. And at the same time, I think because they were so experimental, sound growing, there's a little bit of consistency that is missed on the album, where they're both trying to appeal to what Fleetwood Mac was for the previous two albums and delivering that blue sound and trying to play in some spaces that nobody's really played in before. Because of that, like, 
gap and the way that changes across the album, there's a little bit of coherency that's lost with that. So four stars makes a lot of sense for me because it's not perfect, but what they were doing was super commendable, fantastic for what it was and what was happening. You could pick up some Eric Clapton from that time frame, Cream, Blind Faith, and it's really solid, straight, and approachable stuff. These guys are they're playing in spaces that nobody else was playing in. Turns out, over the next half a century, those sounds really became relevant. It really became something that people saw as their sound and the way that they felt. And a lot of people don't know where that kind of originated at the time, even if it wasn't part of what was playing in the mainstream. It's introduced in the, to the zeitgeist, like, from here, and that deserves a lot. Yeah, I think this is a four-star album. That's a super windy way to say four stars. I could have just said four stars. Yeah. Four stars. It was actually really nice. It was really uh, kind of moving. <laughs> cheers. Yeah, cheers. Okay, I think we did it for real this time. Actually, one, one other thing you just remind me of, right? What's your favorite Fleetwood Mac song now that we've done this experiment? This is my bonus question. I don't know. Like, I just don't... Do you mean that, like, excluding Peter? You no, no, no. I'm talking about the whole no. history of the band. Listen, the one, the, the, I, the island song that you're going to take with you. I'm going to confess that I have actually not really listened to any other Fleetwood Mac apart from this. I have heard it on the, I have heard Go Your Own Way on the radio. Okay. I think it's a perfectly admirable song. It's fine. <laughs> it's actually pretty good for what it was, which right. was very mainstream type stuff i really like cole hole's cover of black dust woman but if i'm picking a favorite song it's uh shit it, it's coming from this album it's hard to choose amongst them though okay yeah i, I don't know if I, I could even play that game like i don't even know if i could play that game with this album like we didn't talk about the song like crying yeah. is a fantastic blues song like yeah. Yeah. rattlesnake shake is Again, I love early ZZ Top, and Rattlesnake Shake is ZZ Top earlier than ZZ Top. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, closing so, My Eyes is a great kind of, like, pensive ballad. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. So I really like this. I really like this record. I'm happy I'm familiar with it now. Awesome. I'm going to still say that my favorite Fleetwood Mac song is probably Rhiannon. It's a good choice. It's hard not to acknowledge how... It's just, for me, I think it's there's the, definitely the nostalgia factor, right? Like, certainly the technical playing is not as good, but, like, I love Stevie Nicks' voice. I love the sound of that song. It's like a perfect 70s song. I don't know. And in general, like, I, I really like... I like Stevie Nicks' like, solo stuff, so... It's just, it's a very different thing. It's a pop thing. But yeah. So yeah, I don't know. That's my controversial answer there at the end. Yeah, yeah. There, are no, there are no wrong answers, Alonzo. No <laughs> Only wrong <Yeah>. people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sticking with us. And next week we are doing an Elliot Smith mega mix, mega combined mega mix. I don't know. We'll Great. figure it out. It'll be Elliot Smith themed. And and we'll do it together. I think that those are the only rules that I have right now. We'll do it together. We'll do it live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fuck it. We'll do it live. It'll be Elliot's mind. Okay. So anyway, thank you guys.